Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. BPI presents Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream or wherever you get your podcasts. But someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Welcome, 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 welcome to another Pride Connection. It's Tuesday at 10, and I am one of your three co-hosts, Anthony Corona. I am joined, as always, by Vice President Leah Gardner. Hello, everybody. Welcome to December. I can't believe it, it is December already. Yeah, I know. It is 49 degrees for anyone who may be interested in Miami right now. <laughs> But there's no global warming. It's 49 degrees in Florida. How could there possibly be global warming? I'm also joined, as always, by President Gabriel Lopez Capati. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Pride Connection. And that's like Bodie in the background. Said, he wanted to make December. himself known. <laughs> Your president's message, Mr. Gabriel. Well, what can I say? Um, Today is it's a, cold. Uh, <laughs> it's cold. Yes, it's cold. That's the I message. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it's December. It's cold. <laughs> and uh, I want my money uh, back. I, I came to Florida expecting it would be warm and humid. I want my money back. Who do I talk to about that? I got well, Ron DeSantis or maybe Mamie. <laughs> so, so Leah, you're you're not going to be sitting out on the lanai with the uh, with the crickets uh, playing in the background. <laughs> yeah, no, I will not, and I will not be jumping in the pool either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, anyway, um, yeah, it is, it is, it is a nice, uh, cool weather. Um, we have, um, <laughs> if that's what we're we calling have... it these days, <laughs> I, know, I, know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I, I, you know, me, I love the cold. Uh, and I know that all of you who have lived or who live in the cold weather are going to say that I say that because I don't have to live in it, but we'll see someday. I'll try it out. <laughs> so those of you who have some inches of snow and have already broken out your snow shovel, please send Gabriel a week's invitation to your hometown to experience the colds in, in uh, new and fun ways. <laughs> I well, I, I'd also like to, to – have you been sitting out on the lanai today at all? No, no it's cold. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. To be in the cold weather, you need appropriate clothing. <laughs> oh well so, yeah. i definitely want to get me one of those vitamin d lamps you know the the you know to, <laughs> to combat the seasonal uh what do you call it seasonal something disorder sad effective yeah, yeah, yeah. seasonal effective disorder yeah, yeah yeah i need one of those yeah. lights it's cold i'm depressed shocking let me get you a pill hold on <laughs> 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 well, folks, it's uh, as Leah was just saying, it is December. Uh, it's amazing how this year just flew by. And uh, I, I mean, sometimes it feels like it, it flew by. Sometimes it feels like it's gone slowly, depending on how you look at it. But in any case, we're in December. We're past the election. Yay. We are close to having a vaccine. And we're close to having, I'm not going to 
go into politics. We may go into politics later on in this topic tonight, but anyway, I'll save politics for later on. Uh, we are joined by our uh, special guest, BPI member Tom Babcock, who's going to also um, give us some some of his impressions and some of his historic recount. Uh, not to age you, Tom, but I know it's going to come you. up in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you that you um, live through the. Um, AIDS crisis in when the you 80s. Were a baby. And... Yes. yes. <laughs> no, I wasn't born. Oh. oh <laughs> no, no, I was a baby. Um, so, yeah, December 1st, um, the United Nations has declared uh, this day to be World's AIDS Day. And uh, not only to uh, bring awareness to all humanity of the impact of HIV uh, and how it, you know, turns into AIDS and how it has killed so many people, not only in the United States, but Africa and every part of the world and um, how to stop the spread of HIV, which causes AIDS. And also we're going to talk a little bit about the LGBT community, which has been, um, if not the most, affected, uh, one of the most affected communities with the epidemic and how it was handled or not back in the 80s and the impact that has, ha that that the mishandling of the epidemic has had uh, moving forward. And we're going to talk a little bit about other aspects like historic, social, and, and just our own experiences with friends and um, family members who who have um, experienced this difficult path. So um, I, I, I have a lot to say, but I'm going to let our guest uh, get a few words in and give us a little bit of a recount. Tom, if you can tell us a little bit of, you know, what it was, how you felt back in the late 70s, 80s, when everything was coming out and and everything, the news, we're talking about this rare disease that was affecting main, mainly gay men. Uh, oh, the gay cancer. Yeah, the yep, gay, they yeah. called it the that's gay cancer. That's all they, yeah. That's what they had, the gay cancer. Um, I think that, uh, let me go back to, you know, like the late 70s when, you know, disco was all the rage. And, and uh, I was living in Southern California, um, Redondo Beach. And I just noticed that, you know, at that time, all these, you know, new gay bars were opening up, new, you know, big discos, and everybody was going out, and being gay was getting to the point where it was almost okay. You know, it was just people were getting boyfriends, girlfriends, and it seemed to be like an exciting time. And then it just all of a sudden, and I thank God that I lived in a nice really gay friendly neighborhood um a few gay couples around and when it all of a sudden you'd see your friend like you were out dancing one and you see your friend and then the following monday he said oh i i i, I tested positive for <clears throat> that gay cancer and by friday you were probably going to their funeral they were it was like people were gay men were just like dying and that makes you a little alert and like well everybody needs to everybody everything stopped everything you know just like this year uh the bars weren't as crowded anymore the uh people were staying home and being very scared very scared and we didn't know and when no one knew what it was and no one was doing anything about it that was the, the another scary part of it but uh, yeah, it got very scary. And uh, I thank God I survived, you know, but you, at that time, I think all my close friends and I, we just, we just kind of closed down and didn't participate in a lot of things and uh, waited to see what was gonna go on. And all of a sudden then there was nothing going on. And if you were, and then at the whole being open to being gay kind of started to reverse itself. Oh, you're gay. You got to mm -hmm. stay away from me. 
you know, just because you're gay, you have it. And you were like, well, you know, your coworkers were like kind of freaked out about you a little bit, or, you know. But that was a, a lot of things that we all went through. And uh, then the Reagan administration came in and didn't want to hear about it. Sound familiar? Yeah. Well, that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember, um, you know, what it, when you first heard HIV, you know, AIDS, um, it, it was a while into into the pandemic, the epidemic right. um, at that point. Did, did, is there any marking for you when, when there was finally a name for it? Did that mean anything at that time? Did everybody suddenly, you know, kind of like, okay, we have a name for it. Now we know what we're here what we're up against. Well, it did. And it was probably 10 years when I first kind of like, it's HIV, which can lead to AIDS and all that. And uh, it just like, okay, but you still kind of maintain your safety. You had your guard up. Mm -hmm. You know, you just, they weren't telling you how contagious it was or how it was contagious per se. There was rumors and this and theories of this, but they just named it something. It was like, okay, now it's not, you know, the gay cancer. It's, you know, and people drop the gay cancer uh, logo, if you want to call it that. Um, But what really hit home to me um, in in the last, I mean, I, I just, it was just, it's kind of hard to explain, but last year, about 10 years ago, I live in a small little neighborhood here in Orlando, and my I talked a friend of mine into buying him and his boyfriend to buy a house down the street. So he lives 10 doors down from me. Um, I happened to be have a day off during the week. Like, I think it was a tu- Tuesday. <clears throat> and I get this phone call in the afternoon, can you come and get me? And it was him, it was Matthew, and he's... Uh, just to describe me, he's very outgoing, very fun, very big personality, tall, uh, dark hair, green eyed, Italian young man. And uh, I said, okay, where are you? He said, I'm at center care and they won't let me drive. I said, what's wrong? He said, just get here. It's a matter of life and death. And I went, oh my God. I thought he had a car accident or something, you know. Uh, I get there and they made me sign papers that I immediately had to drive him because he refused an ambulance to the nearest hospital, which was, thank God, just down the street. But here, I get him to the emergency room. He doesn't want any treatment. He's fighting to get needles in him. So the nurse and the doctor asked me to climb on top of him and to hold him down so they can get an IV in him. And... So I did, but he's sweating and he's spinning and he's screaming and they finally get the IVM to get him calmed down. And I asked the doctor, I said, what's going on? He goes, and all, all, all he told me was uh, what he has people die from. And I went, oh my God. And that's HIV AIDS. That's what came right to mind. And he, and, he, and the doctor was right. That's what really hit, you know, when it's someone personal, but I had a lot of acquaintances okay. just, you know, in the early 80s, late, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Like I said, they would, you'd see them on Monday and you'd be going to their funeral on Friday because no medical team knew what to do. They didn't know how to treat it. Because they were, you know, number one, they were afraid of it. And number two, they just didn't, they, they knew it wasn't cancer, but it was something. So a lot of people were dying. But that was scary. Yeah, I I happened to um, uh, read the book by Randy Schilt. If uh, people haven't read it, it's um, I highly recommend it because it gives a lot of um, it expands a lot on what Tom just said. Um, it covers not only the medical, historic, social, and political aspects of 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 the disease and right. how right. and how it got spread and you know um it it i think it's very important to uh debunk certain myths um obviously it was very um you know without getting into medical because I, none of us here i believe is a medical professional but 
but it, it it became very prevalent in the in the uh, gay community because of how easily it is transmitted um, through exchange of bodily fluids. And um, like Tom said earlier, it was a time in which it was okay. It was starting to be okay to be gay and uh, more people were going out, more people were engaging in um, you know what? sexual encounters and um, without being you know persecuted by authorities or society so it's not it it, it just made it a, a, a coincidental it was it was it was bad it was bad that yeah. It, yeah. it was like you know people were just starting to come out and people were just starting to be okay with with dating uh and being public about it and then that's that's how i guess it was the excitement of it was such that people were just um oh it was we're, we're uh, just it, dating and we're just doing what it what was, everyone else does it was like a big rush i'd be walking down uh santa monica boulevard and i'll tell you there was like one new gay bar opening up after another and they were nice places they weren't you know down in the bad side of town like some of the ones i've seen when i first came out you know behind a bar behind a barn or behind an old factory but these were like right on santa monica boulevard beautiful you know you walk in it's all brass and oak trim at the time and it's mm. crowded and people were celebrating and you know it's nice to get out after work with you know all your you know gay peers and you know and yeah. it was fun but all of a sudden i'd say most of us that were paying attention kind of stopped you know, just well, hold on here. But uh, anyway, my my friend is my neighbor down the street. He's doing fine, and that's what I was going to get into, like medication and what they do now. And that's and I've learned a lot from him. Uh, but because uh, they're now now you can take one pill a day, you know, and you're fine, undetectable. Mm -hmm. But what the yeah. I but I think what really took it off the gay community is when straight people started getting infected. And then it really hit the African American community very hard. So they took it off the gay, you know, the gay men part of it. I, I do have a question um, because you know when when looking at sites uh, like Grinder, you'll see often that um, they mention something called PrEP, uh, P R E P, yeah. and I don't really know anything about that. Um, and so I thought maybe one of you could educate those of us who are unaware of, you know, the preventative measures that are out there, um, and mm -hmm. the ways to, um, the ways to handle it if you have it, like the ways to medically, uh, deal with it once uh, you do sure. have it, if you do. Yeah. Uh, I, you oh, want to take it, Gabriel? Yeah. And, and if, uh, and, and if you have anything, definitely Tom, you know, you, you, if I miss anything, well, um, thanks for the question byron because um nowadays especially in developed countries like the united states there really is no reason uh why people should still be getting infected because on one side you have people who are already hiv positive who like tom said a moment ago uh under treatment um and people are undetectable. Um, and you may have also seen on different sites, Byron, um, U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmissible. Uh, so that means that if a person is undetectable, a per if, if a person who's HIV positive is undetectable, that means that the viral load in the blood is zero. So when HIV is transmitted or any virus for that purpose is transmitted to from one person to the other, basically what uh, is being transmitted is copies of the virus. So if, if a, an HIV person is undetectable, that means that they do not have copies of the virus in the blood. It's still in their DNA, but it's not in the blood. So there's nothing to transmit. So if you combine that with PrEP, PrEP basically is 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 a uh, it's an everyday uh, medical uh, regimen that you need to take uh, if you are negative. If you are not, if you have not been infected with the HIV virus, you can take a PrEP 
pill, which is once every day. And uh, you that's under medical control. And then what the pill does, it builds up in your system, in your blood work. And if you do become exposed to any copy of the virus, if you do become exposed to the HIV virus, what it does is that the PrEP immediately kills it before it starts reproducing in the bloodstream. So um, that is, that is uh, uh, you know, something, something new, something that I think uh, anyone who, who knows that they will have, uh, you know, an, an engage in sexual activity with more than one person, um, they should definitely uh, look into prep. And uh, what 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 why the reason why I mentioned the um, the U equals U the un, undetectable equals untransmissible is because it has been proven that if a person who is in prep and has uh, unprotected sexual contact with a person who is positive but undetectable. It is 99.99 percentage that there will be no transmission. Wow, that's that's really helpful because I like I said I had seen it, and I had also seen that U equal equals U uh, thing and didn't know what that was either. So thanks for the educational um, info. Absolutely, there. yeah, that yeah. was. Um, can I add something here? Yeah, of course, please. Um, I know I must have missed something. Oh, not no. I'm just going along with what you said about the drug prep. Uh, it was also advertised here on in Orlando on TV, and the first statement is: if you're going to, if you're a gay man and you're going to be promiscuous, you need to take prep. And I went, "What did they just say?" <laughs> and uh, so I asked, I asked my friend about it. He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "That's." You know, a lot of guys are taking it. So he said, you still should be careful. I said, no. Yeah. You know it. But uh, Nowadays, doctors, infectious disease doctors say that that probably um, other um, other sexually transmitted, transmitted um, STDs are probably more prevalent than HIV because there's so much to to prevent HIV transmission. Right. Right. Uh, it's, uh, it's come, it's come a long way. It has, it has. And, and thank uh, God, thank God it has, you know, like my friend Matthew takes one pill mm -hmm. a day for the rest of his life. Yeah. And he's fine. He's leading a very healthy life. He's, you know, school and working and, uh, changing his career in all at the same time. Yeah, since you talk talked about uh, the 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 one pill a day that uh, that we know now exists, uh, let's let's do a little bit of a historic recount because that was not the case always. And uh, like Tom, like you were mentioning back in the '80s when it was called the gay cancer, and um, and the. Uh, uh, the medical community was confused. No one knew what was going on. Um, then the Reagan administration came, uh, obviously provided, actually reduced the amount of funding for the investigation of this new disease that was not only affecting the U.S., but also affecting uh, many people around the world. And um, it, it came to be believed that it, it would only affect you if you were gay. If you were not gay, you were safe. And um, I, I clearly remember from, from not only from the book, but in general from the news, the first time I ever heard about HIV AIDS was when Rock Hudson died. And that was the first time I understood after reading the book that uh, the Reagan administration really started to figure out that this was something serious that they needed to look into. Because I know that um, Rock Hudson was a personal friend of Ronald Reagan. Yes. And, yes. Um, and that's, that's how attention came 
to to the administration. Obviously, this was what 1986, 87. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, just imagine how much transmission had already happened, and and how how widespread it was, not only in the United States but also in other parts of the world with right. people traveling. So a lot of similarities with COVID. <laughs> yeah. well, let's take let's take a, a second there because honestly, in the last couple of weeks, we've had some some COVID information. Uh, you know, the first and foremost being that there's three, if not more, competing vaccines um, that are being uh, reviewed now and and can be released, hopefully, in the next Shortly, couple of weeks. Yeah. But um, you know, researchers have also found that. Um, there's evidence that COVID's been around for well over a year um, prior to the first uh, the first cases coming out of Huang, China. Uh, didn't know what it was. It was people were you know let, uh, classified as, as dying of pneumonia, which is sort of like a you know when when you read a death certificate, everybody dies of cardiac arrest because what happens is your heart stops. There you and, go whatever your yeah. underlying conditions are, your actual manner and cause of death ends up being cardiac arrest. Um, and what they're finding is, is that, uh, you know, some of these cases that they've gone back and looked at were actually COVID and they had no idea yeah. that it was COVID that killed these people. Yeah, I just, I so, just read that earlier today. I, I do yeah. want to point something out though, in that, you know, I think as mismanaged as the COVID pandemic has been, this has been going on for almost a year. If you think about the HIV crisis and the just scant, you know, amount of research that was done, we're talking about people dying of AIDS for about seven years before any real effective drug trials began. I mean, I mean, think about that because, because, because COVID has affected everybody. Yeah. We have to be, we have to be historically, you know, contextual about, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, about how it all came, it all came to national attention. And first and foremost, you know, what they've proven is that HIV had been around for, you know, at least 20 years in, in the back, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as prevalently transmitted, but there, you know, when they went back and did research, it had been around for at least 20, 30 years. They think that it started in the um, early forties in Africa. They don't really, you mm-hmm. know, they're never going to know where did, where was the first case. They have this guess, that guess, so on and so forth. But, you know, what happened at the end of the 60s and all through the 70s was a social revolution, um, which ended up being really prominently visible in, the, you know, in the LGBT uh, Q community. And p- fingers were being pointed before HIV, before gay cancer. Fingers were being pointed at, you know, reckless lifestyles and higher drug um addiction rates and suicide etc 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 it was the right it was the right time for for the for a finger pointing pandemic slash epidemic to turn all of the conversation about behavioral issues and freedoms and so on and so forth you know it was the perfect storm it Um, was the perfect storm yeah like i said as soon as medically where we were as far as research and vaccinations and so on and so forth. One of the things that a lot of people are speaking about now because of COVID is the fact that they can do what they say they're doing in the time that they're doing, because we have a hundred years worth of, of virus and vaccine research that they can go through all of the initial stages based upon what they've done for countless amount of vaccines up to this point, And that the medical model doesn't change. So once you've taken care of the medical model part, then you have the review part and the, the clinical trials. But the medical model part for HIV went through treatment after treatment after treatment. I mean, people were on cocktails of 15, 20 pills at one point just trying to find out what, you know, what in, in the body's system is going to react work. What and work. work. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was, was a, it was a guessing game. 
Yeah. And once they, <laughs> you know, once they started getting answers, they started refining. I mean, you know, how many different treatment there was take this pill three times a day, take this pill that's three medications in one plus this, plus this, plus this, you know, until they finally really got down to, you know, these are the different strains of the virus. These are the medications. These are resistance levels and what you have to look at for what, you know, what method of tra- of treatment will end up working. And then they fine tuned it and fine tuned it and fine tuned it. But they were dealing with, they were dealing with something that, you know, the world had never really dealt with in that way before you know polio uh measles mumps you know all of all of the all of the um pandemics epidemics etc that we had dealt with up to that point were airborne and were under these certain circumstances whereas this was bodily fluids doesn't matter the temperature doesn't matter what part of the world doesn't matter you know what diseases you may have had up to that point all you got to do is transmit serum when yeah. you know it wasn't even at one point they still thought you could get it from kissing yeah you know right. and then yeah. Yeah. went back a lot to of the people old... still or from the bathroom yeah yeah, so, yeah. you know but yeah. you're right but the and it was like we were i just remember being all of us my friends and i being so frustrated because nothing's being done and it's like we're getting you know we're getting a little bit more you know Hey, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, uh, but it changed when, and not to get real political here, but when the people in power, it was happening to their friends. Mm-hmm. And their friends, were, like you said, Rock Hudson. Your friends started dying, or look at Magic Johnson, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, was really upfront about it. But that was after you know they got it down to, yeah you know, the uh, underneath the 15 pill cocktail, you know, they got it, you know, but in the beginning, it's like, it's, you know, it's gay men, you know, if we didn't have those gay men, we wouldn't have this. Like, no, no, that's not right. Then when, like I said, when straight people started getting it, white women started getting it, and uh, then their friends started getting it, then something started to change a little bit. I I also wonder whether there's a major sea change when it became obvious that people that were getting blood transfusions, like hemophiliacs, for instance, made made a major, you know, change because, you know, Ryan White was such a spokesperson (sighs) um, Mm -hmm. for many years, um, you know, until, until his death about that. And I think there became a lot more sympathy for, people that were dealing with HIV because suddenly it wasn't just this quote unquote gay disease, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is horrendous when you think about it. Right. Right. That, uh, yeah. And I, you know, Oh, it's not just gay people. All right. Let's maybe throw some money and some attention towards it. Yeah. Let's do something because it's more than just gay people. Exactly. Right. And I, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, I, I've been tested every six months since, uh, the eighties. And mm-hmm. I still, you know what? I still cannot get blood because I'm a gay man. That's, I was going to go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I, w- I want to go there. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about um, two things that uh, Tom started and Anthony uh, phrased it in a, in a perfect word uh, or phrase, which is perfect storm. Uh, for those of uh, you out there who don't understand or who don't, uh, who are not familiar, um, the the way it happened and the way it exploded in the late 70s to early 80s was precisely because of the way in which the virus behaves. Uh, the HIV virus has three stages, and the first one being um, when it infects, when it you know goes into the body. So at that point. Uh, People get like uh, what they call flu-like symptoms, uh, and it it is just you know fever, body aching, just goes. It, it disappears from the system just as it came, like nothing, like a flu. And then it goes into the most dangerous stage, which is latency, because latency there's no signs in the body, there's nothing, nothing going on. People go about normally. 
Uh, but what's happening is that the if if people don't get tested regularly, like Tom was saying, that the virus starts progressing. And the way the virus attacks the system is that the virus attacks what are called the CD4 or T cells, which is part of the uh, uh, immune system of the body. So as the ratio of the viral load goes up, the T cells, the C, the T cells in the body go down. So when the person uh, goes into AIDS stage is when the T cell count, which is normally around 800 or from 800 to 1000, when it goes below 200, the T cell count goes below 200, that's when the person is considered to be uh, contracted AIDS or developed into AIDS. And that could take anywhere from six, seven, almost up to 10 years. So imagine someone who was infected early 70s probably was showing signs of AIDS until late 70s or even early 80s. And during all that time, if, you know, no sign of, of, of the virus, uh, no, no knowledge of it, no testing because no one was testing for HIV. They didn't even know what it was. They didn't, it didn't even have that name. Um, people were, you know, probably transmitting it. And well, I mean, for uh, the yeah. first, the first 10 years, even after they named it, when you, you know, when you read an obituary or, you know, you spoke to someone who wasn't part of the community, you know, they labeled it as, as, um, first, first they just called it pneumonia. Then they, they would call it AIDS related or HIV related pneumonia. Right. Yeah. So AIDS related pneumonia. When they started to go back and do, you know, some research, they found that there were plenty of deaths in the 70s and, and probably in the 60s mm -hmm. and 50s as well. Yeah. I, I don't I'm mm -hmm. not as hip as I could be on that on that research. But um, there were plenty of deaths that when they went back in and re looked at it, that's what it was. But they yeah. were dying of, of these mysterious flus of these mysterious pneumonias because there was no research there was no there was nothing to tell you what was going mm -hmm. on in the body they didn't even you know when they did autopsies they didn't even know to look for it so even if they were doing more Correct. extensive autopsies they didn't find this so it, it was mysterious flu or mysterious right. um Correct. pneumonia That's right. and then anecdotal research combined with science research that was starting to happen at that point and they were able to they were able to then um, you know, point the, the, you know, the right direction to, to label mm -hmm. it what it really was. So, you know, what felt like an explosion, it was an explosion because we didn't know what it was, but, you know, in the history of, of our planet, it really wasn't. This is, this is what happens with viruses on, yeah. you know, on a, on a very aggressive and highly transmittable, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's basically airborne, um, such as COVID, you, you get it much, you know, you get, you get, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say you get it. You get the the trajectory of this as quickly as we have because it's as dangerous as it is. Mm -hmm. HIV had been, you know, had been slowly working its way into the majority of the population for 20, 30 years before we knew anything about it. Right. Because it was much more difficult to 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 transmit. It's only in a certain certain way. Um yeah. I, I just wanted to um i have a comment from one of our members and listeners uh gerald herstrid uh you were talking about prep a little while ago yeah. he mm -hmm. wanted to point out that if you have kidney or liver disease prep is incredibly dangerous um he wanted to uh he, he wanted to to make that clear thank um, you thanks Thanks, Gerald. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks, this Gerald. is the perfect time for us to, you know, for us to make absolutely clear that it has never changed. Um, abstinence and in lack of abstinence, safe sex using condoms and other various forms of, of prophylactics are your best fight, are your best chances. Yeah. Um, you know, prep comes with a lot of possible. It is it, it is a another form of an HIV management, a treatment program. Um, it is a drug that, that is also used for treatment. It's it's a, a different formulation, but it, it can come with a bunch of side effects. And long-term yeah, usage is probably, it, you know, we, we don't, 
we'll, we're still not going to know long-term usage from mm -hmm. all of the HIV medications for another 10, 15 years, um, what the true long-term effects can be. So, you know, before Correct. you go on a prep regimen, you really need to do your research. You need to speak to your medical professionals. To a medical professional. Yep, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's not as simple as if I take this pill, I will never yeah, get it. It's a magic. It's not yeah, that simple. Yeah, Anthony. Before we, I, I don't know how we're doing on time. I know that evil mistress. <laughs> but um, before we go into, because I did want to touch on something that uh that tom said and i've always wondered and i've always wanted to to bring up as a topic for discussion uh, for discussion and lee also mentioned it up uh, about the blood transfusions before we go into that you um living in new york why don't you tell us a little bit about because i think it is very important to see how our community how the gay community responded when you know when faced with the lack of action from from the authorities, from the government. Um, and and uh, there was a very, very famous group uh, called the Gay Men's Health Crisis. Health Crisis, yeah. And I, I've done work for them over the years, fundraising and stuff. You know, I, in a way, I'm, I'm sorry you asked this question, but I'm glad you asked it. Um, I think the first thing that I want to say, <laughs> first and foremost, is I, you know, came out, I, I came into the community at a time when all eyes, you know, um, one of my personal heroes, <laughs> uh, you know, Madonna was making commercials about it. Um, all eyes were on it. The research was already being done. The cocktails were already being experimented with. Um, so, you know, it was already being taught in schools in New York City. I that. I know is not the case for a good portion of the country. Um, you know, even even mm -hmm. today, it's still not part of education uh, yeah. across, no, and, across and, the entire and, country. And New York was different because of Cuomo, the father. He he took it upon himself to to make a difference for New Yorkers. Absolutely. Having said that, though, it was like there were three camps in the in the LGBT community at that point. Um, there were those who knew people had, you know, were of, you know, the generations that were older than I am, um, that, that were actively active in you know, being activists in activism, new people who were surviving new people, scores of people who had passed, um, knew exactly how dangerous this was, how more dangerous it was because so many people were purposely sticking their head in the sand and didn't want to know anything more than what they saw on television or whatever. Um, and this is in the gay community period. I'm not even talking about New York city itself. Um, the second camp I, I like to describe as the, it, not us, never us, um, the kind of standpoint. And there mm -hmm. were a lot of people that, you know, it only happens to the horse. I'm sorry. Right. And, right. and just right. repeating, I'm repeating what was said to me, you know, as a young impressionable, 18, 19 year old kid coming out. Um, well, you know, it, it never happened to us because we weren't whores. Mm, well, hey, that's, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there was, and then there was that third sector that knew, were careful, would talk about it with close friends, but, you know, wanted not, there was only, you know, a one segment of the population that wanted in any way, shape or form to be associated with it. And if you were associated with it, you were active, you know, you were an activist, you were fighting for the attention, for the money, for research, for, you know, the eyes and, and ears of the country to pay attention. But even in our own community, you know, you had those that were actively villainizing other portions of our community and those that just looked away and didn't want yeah. to be associated with it, even as as responsible, hardworking members of the larger society who happen to be part of the LGBT. Um, and that made New York a very interesting place. I, you know, I think a lot of people from around the country came to New York thinking that, you know, New York doctors had the answers, that that was the place to be. Um, you know, New York and San Francisco obviously had the highest death rates for a very, very, very long time. Um, you know, but the, the, you know, the city did not offer any magical, um, any magical answers. 
Now, having said that, you know, I aligned myself early on with people that were activists, with people that did know what they were talking about and wanted to make sure that no, you know, as, as few more of us in the larger community, all of us, not just LGBT, that as few of us as possible would get sick or would get affected. Um, and that's, that, that's my view of New York. I think, you know, somebody else might have a different perspective, but, you know, honestly, it wasn't even in our own community, a solidified, we're all fighting for the same thing for a very, very long time. It, it really, right, it wasn't right. until strikes were being made and right. it was no longer a death sentence that the rest of our community came on board. Forget about, you know, the larger American nation. Yeah. Yeah, I Tom, agree. I'm wondering I, if you have that that, that perspective as well. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say uh, I agree with you. Like the three camps of the gay community, um, you're right. It did it did start to happen that way. But in the beginning, it was like, oh God, we're all getting scared, and there was no you you really couldn't talk to anybody because no one knew anything. That's just dangerous to stay away. You know, oh you're gay, you can't come in here. No, don't touch me. You know, but mm -hmm. as it progressed and the more information we did learn, and if you, you know, I don't know if I was an activist, but I just paid attention to what was going on and did the right thing and helped people. And, you know, I've held people's hands and it was not, but it's like, where you're, you're still saying to yourself, why, why isn't someone helping me? You know, yeah. after, after the information came out, then the, gay community sort of divided into three camps that you were talking about. I do very much agree with that. I mean, I think, you know, for the most part, we've, we've really all kind of come together uh, where we are now. I am, but that was a long time in coming, you know, those, yeah. Yeah. you know, those, those generations that are under me that are coming, you know, that are coming up now or even, you know, in their early thirties, I always, I'm always one of the first people to say, you know, those that came before me paved the way. I was never bashed. I, you know, I was never chased. I was never hurt. Mm -hmm. I was never, you know, disowned completely or, or shunned completely. And that's because of those that came before me, you thank know, you. and, and it, it <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> thank um, you. Absolutely. But it yeah. scares me at times yeah. that I'm now. Grandpa Tom's on here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm one of the people now considered above these other generations. And it's like, wow, oh my I know, God. I know. Yeah. But, it, but, you know, like I said, thank, thank God that I've lived through it because I paid attention. Yeah. My friends paid attention and we're all, you know, mm -hmm. most of us are still around, you know. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. And, uh, well, I, but it's, it's, I think... it's education. It's a lot of education to, pe to get people out there still more needs more education there's a lot of education yes uh, it's talking not going about, away talking about education no in fact every couple you know every 10 years or so it, it you know the numbers start to cycle again right um right. you know and when when prep was still in its trial stages you know a lot of reports were being released that you know the african-american community and this community and that community the numbers are on the rise and and college age Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and it's like, wait a minute, no, no, they, I, you know, I'm, I cannot be reading these statistics because we've known about it now for yeah. thirty, almost forty years. We've had targeted treatment for twenty, thirty years. We've had extremely targeted, you know, like it, it got to the point where people were saying unrightly, you know, wrongly, so nobody dies of HIV anymore. Well, no, that's not true. People still die of HIV. They people do. still die of they AIDS. Do. Uh, they shouldn't you know, because we have all the infrastructure and the medical, uh, you know, that we have treatment to prevent people. But I think from... that that's part of the human condition. You know, we get um, numb, anesthetized and numbed to things, um, you know, and, and hey, there's treatment and so on and so forth. And I haven't seen anybody with lesions. I don't right, know that right. that part of the history. So, you know, it's just not that bad. It's like getting diabetes, per se, let's right. say. You know, you manage it, you do the right thing and you'll be fine. Maybe, you know, and then you have a, a subculture that's like, maybe I should just get it and get it over with. And then I don't oh, have to worry that's, anymore. I was, I was going to go, oh, I was going to oh go God. there. There is, there is that subculture. Oh. Um, and it's younger, younger, um, folk, younger. And, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm not saying that there's not younger 
uh, heterosexual people. I just talk about the gay community because that's the community that I know of. I know there was a couple of years ago with this wave of younger uh, 18, 19, 20 year old boys who were specifically actively seeking to get infected. So that way they could get on the pill and move on. That's the way they said it, you know, yeah, get it. Yeah. Get my infected, friend, uh, my friend, uh, you know, get the pill and that's it. Don't worry yeah. about it anymore. Yeah. My friend Matthew has told me that he gets a lot of requests from younger men. He's Matthew's, oh God, 38. Uh, he said he gets a lot of requests from younger men. Please, you know, let me, you know, I want, you know so you're crazy. You kids are crazy. Right. Wow. I wonder, do you think that this comes from the fact that these younger men they weren't there during the horror yeah. of this in the early oh 80s they don't have that they don't have that visceral memory of it when there was nothing you could you could do i mean for so many years and people lost you know countless friends and it was yeah. terrifying i mean you know you think i'm this sorry is what but it i'm is. gonna jump in here memory there when- when you, you know, when you pass a methadone clinic in, in all of the large cities in America, mm-hmm. you know who's standing out there. When you get on public transportation, you know, and 10 people get on from mm-hmm. the clinic and three of them are nodding off on the back of the bus, <laughs> whatever it be, you know, you know what you're dealing with. When you, you yeah. know, when you go past certain parks and you see, you know, the, the, out of the side of your eye an exchange happening, it was the same thing, you know, when, before I came out. Um, you know, I would hear things in New York, see things. There would be mm-hmm. clinics and areas and, and people with lesions. And, and I mean, lesions were mm-hmm. the telltale. Mm-hmm. With a, with yes. You yeah. knew, you know, you don't know. You, I, I'd be hard pressed to go into, let's say, a Yankee Stadium or a Giant Stadium and, and be hard pressed to find even one person that I could identify as being HIV positive or, or mm-hmm. AIDS in this day and age. But not so much in that you walked down 10, 15 blocks in New York City and you saw you saw enough of it to know this is what this is what people are talking about. Right. You know, there was there was the terminology, an AIDS victim. He must mm-hmm. be an AIDS yeah. victim. Yeah. And not yeah. only not only not only when there was no treatment, uh, not only with the with the lesions or the visible signs of, of, of AIDS, but when they started with the treatments back in the, the first kind of treatments, which you and Tom were talking about, the 15 pill uh, situation, I think there was it was called ACT. Yeah, ACT had horrendous side effects that were so visible that even if the person, even if the mm-hmm. if the if the cocktail was working to yep. stop the you know AIDS from killing the patient. It will be very obvious that they it was were ravaging the rest of your body. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the rest of mm-hmm. your body had so many yep. inequivocal signs that you were on that kind of treatment. And, yeah. you know, one thing that needs to be said, luckily with coronavirus, there's only a couple of different strains of it. It is not mutating quickly. Thank God. Uh, you know, it is not rapidly changing within populations. With HIV, there are so many strains. There are so many yeah. different so you might not be the lucky one, or, or I should say, you sh- you might end up being one of the unlucky ones that gets a strain that mm-hmm. one pill a day doesn't work for. Yeah, doesn't an aggressive strain that's gonna that's gonna work on your kidneys, that's gonna work on your yeah. your eyes or your yeah. vertigo, or and you, you know well, you'll end do. up with I, a facial. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, ju- I just think some of the the ones that are living with HIV positive positive. Uh, are living healthy lives, but a lot of them have told me they they got to they change their medication every couple of years mm-hmm. when something better comes out or something. And, and the more it changes, the less medication they have to take. Every time, you know, every couple of years, they're changing to something yeah. new, and it's healthy. And it's, less, and it's less working, side effects, right? With a lot less side effects. Yeah. Which is a good news, I, but it is. It but is there, there is, news. but there's also, um, you know, an underbelly as well. People that have gone on treatment, gone on treatment, gone on treatment, gone on treatment, et cetera, et cetera, have skipped those various cocktails too often. They're resistant to medication, and right. a lot of the medications out there won't work. And you and you are locked into 15, 12, 10 pills a day because the better treatments won't work for you, mm-hmm. won't work for that stream right. because it's and been then- abused for as long as it's been abused. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So before we we go into any other topic, I don't know how much time we have. We have about five minutes. Five minutes? Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm just going to say this because it's a rhetorical question, especially now that uh, COVID is is part of our lives. Um, Like uh, we mentioned earlier, one of the questions that you get when you're going to donate blood is have, it's not even, are you HIV positive? It's just, have you had sex with, if you're a man, if you're a male, have you had sex with another male since 1977? I think it is. Uh-huh. Um, and it. and it, 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 it's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's to me, it's, it's baffling that, I mean, if you go in and you lie, then you're able to, you know, to donate blood. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you know, and, and you, you get punished for being honest. If you say, yes, I've had, but I'm healthy. Yeah. Plus, so, right. you know, right. you understand that blood that is being uh, donated is going to go through a strict uh, testing process. Very um, stringent. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. And, I, 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 and yeah, I know, Byron, I you that. wanted to say something. I don't know if you've faced that situation, Byron, but before, before I, I just want to be quiet. I just want to shut up and I just want to say I'm not being a rebel. I'm not trying to be an activist here, but I wonder moving forward if people are going to be screened whether you had or did not have COVID from here yes. on, say two, three, I five years so. from now. I have suspect you... so. Yeah, I, I think suspect so. so as well. Yeah. 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 Wow. I so would... can you imagine you between, know, between buying, the gay community the and, and the people who have, have contracted COVID, there's going to be very and well, those of us who are scenes, scared of donating, imagine how many people are going to left being able to just donate. Just so that we don't anyway. leave our audience with the wrong impression behind the scenes, they do also reject blood um, for people that have been in chemotherapy within the last two years, et cetera. There are other criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not only going to be HIV and yeah. COVID. Um, yeah, the, just the so Food and fair. Drug Administration, because I, I worked for the Red cross for a small amount of time Mm -hmm. requesting a a blood donations and so there was a whole list of Mm -hmm. of restrictions if you know if you've had a tattoo in uh, the past year i believe you Mm -hmm. cannot donate if you've been Mm -hmm. to certain parts of the world you can't donate there's a lot that goes into it but i do want to make a point about that um because i had people call we had people call us um, when I was requesting blood donations about this very issue, it is not the American Red Cross that makes those standards. Nope. It is the Food and Drug Administration that is responsible yeah. for that. Yeah. And I, I want to make that clear because a lot of people blame um, the, Red the Red Cross. Cross. And, it's not, and it is yeah. not the no, Red I Cross. Know. I, used to I know tell because them, actually please, the Red Cross in certain countries has already lifted that, that ban yeah. from... You know, as long as, yeah. you know, they ask the question, if you have been exposed to HIV, they don't ask the question, have you had sex with a man since 1977? Right, right, right. right. All right. We're at the that, two minute mark. Byron, Tom, <laughs> if you have final thoughts. That did happen to me when I went to go donate blood for a blindness organization to help them raise money. I, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, sure. I, I'll go do that. I didn't know they were going to ask me if I had ever had sex with a man and it had been mm-hmm. like five years. But you know, I wasn't out yet, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my God, I have to lie I have to come out." Oh my God! Right, right. Yeah, so yeah. That was rough. I donated yep. blood, and all I got was to come out of a crappy closet T-shirt. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, just we just gotta, you know, keep vigilant and keep informed and educate everybody. Try to educate as many people as we can, and. Uh, I think it'll get a little smoother as we go on. Well, Leah, you know what to do. <laughs> I do. I do. It's that, it's that time. Um, and that is so... a whippy here in the background. <laughs> time <laughs> is <laughs> So if mean. you have any... Mean, mean mistress. mistress. Mean <laughs> mistress. If you have any feedback about today's program... Any comments, any questions, any suggestions for future programs, please email us at membership at blindlgbtpride.org. If you want to become a member of our organization or learn more about us, please visit us at blindlgbtpride.org. Good night, everybody. Good night. Until next week. 
night. You have been listening to Pride Connection, sponsored by Blind LGBT Pride International. For more information, go to blindlgbtpride.org. But someday 